Good morning, Third Street. Yeah, I know worship took us there. I know that, uh, I know that this morning uh, felt extra deep uh, and extra heavy. Am I the only one who felt that way? No, yeah, it was definitely extra deep and extra heavy. And so I know that it's tough to maybe uh, uh, shake some of the weight off, but I think that, uh, I think that, that the voice of God is, is faithful to continue to speak in the middle of our haze. And so I want, to, I want to encourage you to maybe shake off some of the haze. Uh, and, and so maybe, maybe just possibly to the point that where I say something, I don't know, like, good morning, Third Street, that there might be an audible and energetic reaction. Good morning, Third Street. Yeah, I got a couple more people out of that. I'm happy. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been uh, studying the book of Haggai. These types of series, as I expressed last week, are really my favorite. Um, it's where we get to just, uh, where, where God kind of leads us to a specific part of scripture, uh, a specific book, maybe in this case, and we get to just go verse by verse and really uh, dig into the inspiration that the Spirit laid behind the words that were written. We've been, uh, we've been doing this for two weeks, and you might notice in your Bibles that Haggai isn't very big. And so if you haven't been here for a few weeks and you see that we've already talked about this for two, you might think that we're near the end. Um, but we've been taking our time. Week one, we read verses one through two. Last week, we read uh, three through like 12. Um, and this week, uh, we're going to finish the rest of the expansive chapter one with the three verses that remain. Um, I want to encourage you, uh, if you haven't um, gotten a chance to listen to those, they're available uh, at your convenience on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or YouTube. Um, at any time, just feel free to log on there, search for Third Street Community Church, and there's not too many of those in the country, so you'll see us. I want to uh, ask that you would meet me in Haggai. We're going to read chapter 1. If you have your physical Bibles with you, uh, it's towards the end of the Old Testament, uh, which is more than halfway through uh, the book itself. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. Uh, we got you covered. We always have these trusty screens, becoming less trusty, mildly trusty screens for you. Um, we're going to start, we're going to back up one verse for the sake of context. And we're going to start in verse 12 of chapter 1. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Scripture says this, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnants of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. He said, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shaltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month in the second year 
of Darius the king. Uh, I read an article uh, today from Bitcoin Magazine. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is not a pitch. Uh, I did not trap you into uh, a pitch for you to invest in Bitcoin. Anybody in here just out of curiosity, like super into Bitcoin? Yeah, like that's exactly what I expected. Um, to be honest with you, I couldn't possibly care less. Um, I care that your heart is towards being uh, a good steward of the resources that God has given you. What your money looks like or what currency, whether electronic, physical, or otherwise, I really don't care. Um, the only reason this article caught my eye is because Google recommended it for me. And sometimes I believe that the Lord can work through Google. And what caught my attention was that in the very title of the article, it said it is the remnant that will make Bitcoin successful. The masses don't matter. Now, anything with such a strong statement towards the masses immediately catches my attention. And so I started to read it. And I found this uh, excerpt especially interesting. The, the, the writer says this. He says, so let me be clear and blunt. Mass adoption is never the goal for anything transformative because the opinion or behavior of the masses does not matter. The masses, by definition, come last. They do not set the trend, but the masses follow it. They are the laggards. What they want is not important because they either have no idea what that is or they comply by default to what is available. As Henry Ford, you know what he invented, right? Yeah. As Henry Ford famously said, if I had asked the people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. Today, we have the calendar, the engine, the computer, and mechanical flight thanks to remnant such as Galileo, Newton, Einstein, and Bohr. The same goes for Tesla, Rockefeller, and Jobs. They all changed the world because they did not build for the masses. They built for the future and those who could see that future. They built for and as the remnant. I read another interesting quote this week uh, from Faith Brooks that she posted on Instagram. She was talking not about Bitcoin, uh, but about activism and social justice. She said, activism is not about being the loudest in the room. It's about seeing a problem and being willing to stay in the room to find a solution when everyone else has moved on. These two ideas in my mind are linked, and they're directly linked to our text today because the group of people that Haggai is speaking to is the remnant. It's the remnant of the Israelite community that once existed. He's speaking to not the full expanse of what Israel was in its peak or in its heyday, Haggai is speaking to what's left over. 
And see, I recognize that a lot of us don't want to feel like the leftovers. Amen? Uh, in my family, me and the, and the other uh, in-laws, we call ourselves the extras. Nicer way of saying the leftovers, right? Because we recognize that those who are blood-related are really, really important to those who are blood-related, and the rest of us eat last. That's a joke, but we like to pretend it's a reality. Um, nobody wants to feel like the leftover. Nobody wants to feel like they're the ones that had to survive something crazy that came through and took, took everybody out. Nobody wants to be the small fraction. Nobody wants to be the residue, right? And we get this negative connotation about what it means to be in the minority. We get this negative connotation wherever it comes from to what it means to be a remnant of something, what's left of something. But it occurred to me while reading this article about Bitcoin and reading Faith's quote about justice that the remnant, the remnant is the people who had resilience. The remnant is those who, in the midst of something tragic, or in the midst of something really hard, or in the midst of everything going down into destruction, had the resiliency to hold on to faith and see something through. And it's the remnant, as I was reminded this morning reading this article, that God communicates through the prophet Isaiah. It's the remnant that God chooses to use to build his kingdom. So when we read in Haggai that all that was left was the remnant of the family of David. All that was left was the remnant of Israel. All that was left was the, was the remnant of God's chosen people. What was left, or what was stripped away rather, were all of those who weren't going to be resilient. What was stripped away was all of those who weren't going to persist on following God. All that was stripped away were those who were going to be distracted, looking right and left at the shiny things that the other nations have. And what was left were the people, the small fraction that were actually going to persist and build what God had been communicating for us to build for generations. What I'm wondering this morning is that if the people that I'm looking at in this church are the remnant, what I'm wondering is if I have the people with me here that are going to be persistent and resilient and that are going to allow themselves to be used by God to build the only thing that will be sustainable for eternity and that which the laggards will someday wish they were a part of. I come to you with three points this morning. The first of which is this. God promises 
to be with the remnant. See, those who made it in Haggai, in this passage, what we read is that God addresses what's left. God addresses the remnants of the Israelites, and he says, I promise to be with you always. It's a promise that, he's met, that he made starting all the way back in Genesis. And if you start in Genesis and you carry that theme all throughout the Old Testament, you will see time and time again God's promise to whoever main character is chosen to be written about in that particular passage. God's promise to them is that I am with you. God looked at Abraham. Abraham faced a difficult situation and God said, I am with you. Jacob was wrestling, pun intended, with some things. God's response to Jacob was, I am with you. David was hiding in caves, running for his life. Time and time again, evading the sure threat of death. And God's response to David was, I am with you. The Israelites, because of, because of their own ridiculousness, are taken into exile. Because they can't stay faithful to God in the midst of God's constant faithfulness. They're taken into exile. And God's response, what is it that we read? It's not, I told you so. It's that, I am with you. Even in the exile. Even in the dark night of the soul. Even when all hope and faith seems to be lost and detached from us, God's promise time and time again in the Old Testament is, I am with you. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor, that's wonderful for the Old Testament. How often do you say that statement? Listen, that's wonderful for those folks that were in the Old Testament. That's wonderful for the literal remnant. But I don't feel that. Let me help you track this down. Turn the page from the Old Testament into the New Testament. There's an angel that comes to a woman named Mary. And he said, the child that you are going to birth, at their birth, the people will be forced to cry out, Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. The birth of the baby Jesus is the literal and physical embodiment of God being with us. It wasn't enough anymore for God to tell us over and over in the Old Testament, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Good grief, will you just listen to me? I'm with you. I'm trying to take the training wheels off, but I'm still right here, I'm with you. It wasn't enough. He then had to send in physical bodily form his son jesus to be emmanuel to be literally god with us jesus lives his life faultlessly perfectly blamelessly dies a criminal's death is resurrected hallelujah on the third day hangs out for 40 more and says i i, I gotta go I've, I've i've done my role i've played my part i've I've fulfilled my, my job, right? I, I got to go be with the Father. But don't worry. What's he say? I am with you. 
no, 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 I don't mean it physically, right? That time is past. I get to go eat the good stuff upstairs, right? Like that part is over, but don't worry in Matthew 28. I am with you always. And then in the book of Acts, as promised, there's a spirit that descends on all who believe. And the spirit then takes root in the life of the believers, which is not only the deposit of what is to come for all of us someday, but is the literal and spiritual guarantee that God's presence is in our life. And as you read the rest of the New, Te New Testament in the epistles after the book of Acts, you read the language, this time in Greek, of the remnant coming back up. Only this time, as seen in Romans, it says God saves the remnant. God is for the remnant. And in Revelation, he shows us that God will establish his kingdom with the remnant. So what I mean to tell you, quite seriously, is that God's presence is very much active and real in your life. It may not feel like it at the moment, but this is a promise. This is a promise from God's own heart, God's own words via Jesus, and a whole lot of prophets and a few apostles God's presence is alive in your life. Where, as the remnant, do you need to believe that God's presence is alive and active? What's that area of your life right now where you're like, I don't know if God cares about that because right now it's looking a certain type of way. Where do you need to have the faith that God's presence is still with you, that God had not left you abandoned, to figure it out on your own, but that he's still very much with you. Oh, and this is my favorite part. Maybe of the entire book. Verse 13, you read the promise of God to say, I'm with you. And then in verse 14, we know, we know that he's with us by his spirit. And so in verse 14, it should be even more meaningful that we read, the spirit was stirred up. Oh, guys, you're not ready to come with me this morning. Listen, the spirit was stirred up. Man, what happens when something gets stirred up? My whole life, I've been called a pot stirrer. And that's not a compliment. But the good news for me today is that here, in verse 14, when it's the spirit that gets stirred up. No, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. Listen, it says the spirit in Zerubbabel was stirred up. It says the spirit in Joshua was stirred up. It says the spirit in the remnant was stirred up. We see that Hebrew word for stirred up over 80 times in the Old Testament. And can I tell you something? 
Every time it's used in the Old Testament, that word is used to describe God moving something to accomplish his will. Sometimes it came in the words to the army. Said, Deborah, wake up. Go tell the remnants. It's literally there in Judges chapter 5. You can go look at it if you want to. Deborah, wake up, stir up, get up, go tell the remnants to march down. And when they march down, they march down to victory. Elsewhere in 1 Chronicles and 2 Samuel, it says that they were stirred up. They were moved out of the way of what God was trying to do. Time and time again in the Old Testament, when God stirs something up, it's to move something to accomplish what he's trying to do. It's used to move people toward the will of God. Which leads me to point number two. When the Spirit stirs, the remnant is unified. Let me show you something. Look at verse 14. It says, the Spirit in Zerubbabel, the Spirit of God that Zerubbabel carried with him, was stirred up. The Spirit of Joshua was stirred up. The Spirit of all the remnant was stirred up. And what happened? They came and worked on the house, and we'll get to the rest later. Isn't it interesting that the Spirit stirred Zerubbabel, and the Spirit stirred Joshua, and the Spirit stirred the remnant, and then they all moved in the same direction? Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting that the Spirit lived in, 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 in Zerubbabel, went to Zerubbabel. The Spirit went to Joshua. The Spirit went to the remnant. It's mentioned separately. And they moved in the same direction. When the Spirit stirs, the remnant is unified. That speaks to the fact that in all of us lives the same spirit. And while God may call us to different lanes, he calls all of those lanes to go in the same direction. God may call you to a different function but the vision is shared. And can, can, can I go just one step further before I move on from that point? God definitely did not call you to do so out of anger, hurt, bitterness, or resentment. Can I show you that by attaching verse 14 to verse 12, you clearly see that direction from the Spirit came out of repentance. Let me make it real plain. 
God did not call you to change course because you're mad at the direction that you're going. God did not call you to change course because the person leading you makes you uncomfortable. God did not call you to change course because your feelings got hurt when truth got shared in a way you didn't like. Sorry, too many toes. God did not call you to change direction because your preferences weren't met on the lane that you were on. God did not call you to change direction because you had an expectation that went unmet by somebody in your life, whether you communicated or not, and that led you to the root of bitterness. God did not call you to change direction because you're mad at somebody, because you can't get along with somebody, or because you're just sick of it. That is not the evidence of the remnant. The remnant is resilience. That is not resilience. But God did call you out of your repentance. What are you saying? I'm saying that when your heart posture communicates, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I haven't been consulting you on the direction I've been going. God, I'm sorry that I may have lost my focus, therefore lost my way a little bit, and I started working on some things that may or may not have even been from you. God, I'm sorry that my focus has been on things that bring me great joy and me great pleasure, but I haven't considered the type of joy or pleasure it brings you. God, I'm sorry that it has become more important to me that I do things my way than I do them yours. And when your heart is repentant, God's promise is to be with you. And when he's with you, he gives you the strength to turn around. He gives you the guidance to know what way. He gives you the courage to be resilient. What's it say in the New Testament? That that the trials we face build character of perseverance? When we come to a place of repentance, and can I just offer real quick for free that repentance is not about anybody else. When we come to a place of repentance, I'm sorry. God is faithful to move you in the direction that you are supposed to be moving. And the evidence will be you moving right alongside the rest of those who consult with God on the daily. I mean, how many times have you noticed that, right? How many times have you been in a situation where it's just undeniably God that brought this stuff together, right? Y'all weren't doing the same thing. Y'all weren't necessarily thinking the same thing. The way you express it is super different, but you all get to the same place and you're like, wait, God brought you here? 
God brought you here because you were doing that. That's so crazy. God brought me here because I was doing this. And God brought them here because they were doing that. And somehow God saw how all this, and now we going in the same. And this just feels right, doesn't it? Like, you know what I'm saying. When you are in tune with the Spirit and you are allowing the Spirit to stir you, not the drama to stir you, not the toxicity to stir you, not the whispering to stir you, when you're allowing the Spirit to stir you, you are in step, in line, walking the same direction as those who are also stirred by the Spirit. I got to get, I got to, I got to move on because I got to get this last point in before, before you start looking at your watches and worrying about your lunch reservations. Let me say this. Point three, when the spirit stirs, the remnant builds the kingdom. Isn't it interesting that while the spirit moved them in the same direction, that direction was to immediately begin constructing the temple that they had been neglecting since they got back to Jerusalem. They immediately began building God's kingdom. And I have to imagine that at various points, they bumped into one another because some were called to work on the inside. Some were called to work on the outside. Some were called to lay brick some were called to gather the wood. Some were called to smooth out the path around. Some were called to worry about the elegance of the interior. And so they were different in function, but they worked together on the temple. In the book of Acts, when we read of the Spirit filling the believers' lives, they all began work well, how can you say it was the same direction? Because pastor, literally the next chapter, it says the believers are scattered. They're going everywhere. Some are over here. Some are over there. Some are up there. Some are taking it down here. Because what they were building was the capital C church. Yeah, they were going in literal different geographic directions, but they were building the same thing. And that same thing was the church. Let me make it even more specific. When the spirit is stirred up, the remnant builds God's church. When the spirit stirs up, it builds the church. When the spirit is stirred up, it does not tear down the church. It does not divide the church. It does not call the church ugly it is not skeptical of the church it is not gossiping about the church it does not withhold its resources from the church it builds the church big c big one whole church not like specific when the spirit stirs it makes God's kingdom accessible. When the Spirit stirs, it makes the church sweet. Let me say it to you another way. At family dinner, um, at huddle, at any of, the, any of the social gatherings that happen at our house, 
um, there, is, there is always a debate over how much sugar you put in the Kool-Aid. And we have a few people that I trust their taste. And then we have a few people that I don't even ask. Right? You consult these people on what flavor packets to mix up. When Rachel should stop just tipping over the sugar jar, right? When it's all then stirred up, it makes it taste better. Now imagine if what was being stirred was not the mounds and mounds of sugar that my wife puts in. What if she got it mixed up and she let a little bit of saltiness get in there? I mean, I mean a little bit of salt get in there. What if what's being stirred up is just saltiness in God's people? What if, what if what's being stirred up isn't the ingredient that God would use to make Kool-Aid taste better, but you add a little bit of spice of your own. This is my touch. This is my flavor. What if that gets stirred up? What if, man. <laughs> Blowing children's minds over here. <laughs> the gospel according to Kool-Aid. When it's genuinely the spirit that gets stirred up, it makes it taste better. So what it means to build the church, what it means to build the kingdom, is to bring what God has designed in you, for you, to be used by you, to contribute to the overall vision, mission, and value of Jesus' vehicle that gets people to the kingdom, which is, say it with me, it's the church, guys. It's the church. I don't know how that wasn't clear. <laughs> Literally, not a clue. I know I had a lot of commas and parent parentheses in there, but it was pretty plain. It's fine. <laughs> it's the church. It's the church. You know the remnant. I don't, I'm not even going to ask you if you're the remnant. Because you know the remnant. In the New Testament, it says it this way. It says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. You know some Kool-Aid by its sugar. You know a church by its people. You know the remnant. You know the remnant. Because it takes seriously to heart God's promise to be with them. You know the remnant because when the Spirit starts stirring, they get up. They stop going the direction that they were going in and they start moving in alignment with other believers. You know the remnant because when the remnant does spiritually what the remnant is called to do, the kingdom of God is made accessible, is good news, and it brings people in to joy and to eternity. 
we be a church that God will look at on judgment day and say that you were part of the remnant. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your promise to be with us. Lord, we thank you that you made it plain, that you embodied yourself in the person of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that for any of us who have questions about what you're really like, for any of us who have read the Old Testament and been given a a confused or misconstrued picture of what you're really like, I thank you so much that we need not go any further than a turn of the page to see what you are like because you give us Jesus. God, I thank you that Jesus' job on this earth was accomplished flawlessly and that his reminder of your ancient promise to be with us, to us, is by, it comes to us by way of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we want to repent. We want to turn away, and we want to ask forgiveness for the ways that we've been going our own direction. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have made, for the ways that we have given up on our faith for the ways that we've thrown this to the side to accomplish what we can accomplish in our own strength and in our own power. God, we ask forgiveness so that we may be in the right heart posture to receive your promise through the Holy Spirit. Father, fill our lives with your spiritual presence. So that the evidence and the good news of the kingdom of God may be made clear to our neighbors and to our community through the way that we live our lives. God, I pray that when we reach the gates once and for all, that you would look at us and we would have lived in a way so that we may hear, well done. That you are pleased with us. Pray these things. In Jesus' name, all who believe say, bless up.